So we're going to close out First Chronicles. Um, we're going to read the last two chapters of First Chronicles, and then we're going to get into uh, just spend some time just reflecting on it. Today will be a little bit shorter than usual, but I love that you asked that question in regards to the vaccine. Have you noticed, and I just want to throw that out there, but have you noticed that almost every topic is a topic of division now? Almost everything, everything has become a topic of division. And all of it has been driven by social media. Um, and so I think we need to really look into that and ask ourselves a question. Are we falling into the wiles of the devil? Are we falling into the influence of them? This is coming from someone who uh, enters into these social spaces and seeks to be an influencer in those social spaces. And all I can tell you is, is that many have fallen into uh, the ruse and the lies and the wiles of the devil. It is the money. I like that you use that, that, that the dollar signs, Jason, it is the monetization of division. We have monetized divisiveness, toxicity and division. And for those of us who aren't aware, we're not seeing how every topic of debate, everything that comes out is something to argue about. Can you believe that? We are divided on something like a vaccine. Like forget where you are on it, but we've allowed the vaccine to separate us and divide us. That's just, that's, that's nuts, y'all. That's crazy, y'all. Just think about that. Regardless of if you support it or against it, how do you see a person, if you're a supporter of the vaccine, and you are, you, you know, you've been vaccinated. That's your decision. That's your decision. But if someone chooses not to, that's their decision as well. Right? And yet, if you've been vaccinated, why criticize the one who hasn't? And if you haven't been vaccinated, why treat your fellow brother and sister like they're your enemy over a vaccine? Over a shot? Come on. We could do better. We could do better. Democrats can't be friends with Republicans. Republicans, you know, anyway, that's just a side note. Sorry. Um, I am a little tired, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here and to spend some time in reflection with you all. Um, we're going to pray and we're going to ask three questions. And the three questions that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? We're just going to let the Lord lead us today as we engage in his word. Father, I ask today, Lord, as we come together, Lord, in reflection and meditation of your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, reveal yourself in our time today, Lord. Let it not simply be the words, Lord, that are uh, transcribed in this paper that we simply repeat and utter, but let it be inscribed on our hearts. Father, bless us, Lord, as we engage with you in this time. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. First Chronicles 28, and we'll read verse 1. And I'd like for you all to read with me. Let's do it. 
Now David assembled at Jerusalem, all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God who had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler and the house of Judah, the house of my father and among the sons of my father. He was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments, as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land, and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its house, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of the God, and of the treasuries for dedicated things, also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. He gave gold by weight for the things of gold, for all the articles used in every kind of service, also silver, for all articles of silver by weight, for all articles used in every kind of service, the weight for the lampstands, lampstands of gold and their lamps of gold by weight of each lampstand and its lamps, for the lampstands of silver by weight, for the lampstand and its lamps, according to each lampstand and by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table and silver for the, sil for the tables of silver, also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold and the golden bowls, he gave gold by weight for every bowl and for silver bowls, silver by weight for every bowl and refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot. That is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me 
all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all the manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also, the leaders of all the people will be completely at your command. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. Now, for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsman who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. Then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 Derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 1,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jael the Gershonite, or the Gershonite, sorry. And the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with, the, with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, victory, and majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, in your hand is to be is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as we are all sorry, as we all are fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord God, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people 
who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of your thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the next day. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon, the son of David, king for king the second time and appointed him before the Lord to be leader and Zadok to be priest. And Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father, and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him, and all the leaders and the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel, and bestowed on him such a royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David the son of Jesse reigned over all Israel, And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they were written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer with all his reign and his might and the events that happened to him, to Israel and to all the kingdoms of the lands. We'll stop right here. We will stop right here. Um, I think even this time that we're spending today in the reading, I think what's important for us is to align our perspective in this text. Um, When we read this particular text, it's easy for us to read it uh, from our own vantage point, right? And we can read it to simply say, hey, what do I get out of this? And what moral uh, revelation do I need to obtain from this? Like, what do I get out of this? Like, how do I pull out what I need from this in order to live my life? But I think we need to reorient our perspective. I think we need to spend some time, even as we're closing in this part of the book. First of all, it's we're closing out First Chronicles, and I'm doing it out of, um, you know, we could say out of habit or out of... Uh, tradition to end it at first Corinthians. I mean, sorry, first Chronicles. Um, But the book is really one book, first and second Chronicles, right? It's just one book. It's just been split into two. And it happens here that we end first Chronicles at the, uh, the death of David. 
the close of David's reign, and then it opens up with Solomon's reign and Solomon building the temple in the book of Second Chronicles. But at least let's stop here for a moment and let's pause, right? This is important because I think for us, perspective is the issue. We read First Chronicles or we read Second Chronicles or we read through the Old Testament. And often what we do is, is that we read it from the perspective of the Western Christian. And when I say Western Christian, some of you who are on here may be living in the East or from the East. And yet we have colonized our Western ideologies to the East. And so, yes, the East has preserved a lot of its thinking and a lot of its philosophy. But unfortunately, Westernization and Western thinking has taken a large part of now Eastern thinking. Um, And so we often read an Eastern book from a Western lens. And so we miss the whole purpose and the whole point of the book and the message of the book. I think we have to change our perspective here. And I think it's important that I take this pause to implore you to say, back up for a moment. This ain't about you. This ain't from your perspective. Back up for a moment and read it through the lens of ancient Eastern Israel. Because what this is all setting us up for is it's giving us, I believe at least, is it's giving us an accurate perspective of what the Israelite was anticipating and what the Israelite was aspiring towards. First Chronicles, even though we don't know who the author is, we have a pretty good sense of when it was written, which is uh, uh, over a century after what we see in the book of, uh, uh, we just read first and second Kings and now we're reading first Chronicles and we're going to go into second Chronicles. So the time in between second Kings, the end of second Kings and first Chronicles is, is over a century. We're talking about centuries have passed. And so in between, cause if you know how second Kings ends, second Kings ends with the children of Israel going into exile going into Babylon, into exile. First Chronicles is going to now give us the narrative and the story of what has transpired throughout that entire period. So First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, what it is, is it's a review. That's what it is. It's a review of the, the historicity, the, his, the history of the chosen people of God. So we're going to finish reading first and second Chronicles, right? First thing, um, and then we're going to get into Ezra, Nehemiah. We're going to get to Esther. We're going to get into Job, right? We're going to read, well, Job is chronologically before Genesis, but that's another conversation for another day. However, we're going to read Ezra. We're going to read Nehemiah and we're going to see all these overlaps This has transpired after Ezra and after Nehemiah, but this is being articulated before that. So what happens in between? Okay. What happens in between? Um, I don't know what you meant by another conversation, but you can maybe throw that out there. What happens in between the children of God going into exile? We read it in Daniel, right? We read it in Jeremiah. 
We see what happens when they fall under Babylonian captivity. We've read up to this point how these children have lost their way. They lost their identity and they have lost their way and now have fallen into captivity. Israel now has become a land of a multiplicity of Canaanite pagan nations that have come in and now have taken the land captive. And yet what's interesting that we find, because that's what we read in, in Second Kings, what's interesting is that the ones who were the natives of the land have been pulled away from the land and now are living as exiles in an unfamiliar land. However, throughout those years that they were in exile, in that unfamiliar land, they were anticipating coming back to the land that was promised to them, anticipating to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. And so what ancient Israel has done is, is that they've seen the rebuilding of the temple. They've seen the reestablishing of Jerusalem. And so this is being written after this, stay with me, fam. This has been written after this, this the, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the reestablishing of the nation of Israel. So they're in this heightened moment and this writer is speaking a story about what has transpired up to this point. This is written after the fact. This is written on the other side of it. And I'm, and you know, again, this is, we'll save Bible study for another day, right? And I only have a few minutes today. We'll save Bible study for another day. But this is really attending to me because what we see is happening here is there's this gratitude. The author seems to be celebrating, right? There's a celebratory tone to this. We see the story of David and we see David in a whole different light. We saw David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and he doesn't look like the David in, 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 in 1 Chronicles. There's this review of David is highlighting another facet, another side of David. And so he's on this side of it, and he's saying, hey, guys, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, we saw how ugly it was. We saw what transpired throughout the, the um, first, first, first Samuel and second Samuel and second Chronicles. We're going to see what has transpired throughout first Kings and second Kings. And, and we've seen all these things that have transpired. And we know that while there's a messianic king that was promised to us, that would bring righteousness and justice, that would establish us, that even though we've seen that we, we, we were anticipating all this, but what we've learned through first and second Kings is these Kings aren't it, right? We, we, we said this before that the book of Kings is really should be titled, not those Kings. And so we see the chronicling of those stories, but now Chronicles is written after the fact. We're on the other side of it. This is now, over a hundred years later. And because over a hundred years later, we're on the other side, the tone is different. Mm. I read this realizing that there's a perspective here. There's a perspective in this text. And sometimes we miss, we miss it because we're too busy trying to get what we want out of it, not realizing, hold on a second, what did they get out of it? 
These are the children of Israel and the prophet who wrote this book, the author of this book, we're talking about century later. We've seen how there was failure after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure. And the tone of first Kings, you notice how I've been really digging in on that tone with you guys. If you noticed, I've been digging in throughout our read and ran as we've been reading over the past few months, as we've been reading, we've, we've been having this tone, right? Of dang, these guys are not heroes. Actually, these guys kind of, they, they kind of suck. They suck at being people. They suck at being kings. They're not really good at this. And while they were supposed to be the kings that would bring the righteousness and justice of God to set the people aside, to make all things right, to make all things new, these guys ain't doing it. And, and, I, 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 and I wanted you guys to see the tone of that. And I wanted to press into the tone of that because I wanted you to see that David isn't the hero that you thought he was. That Solomon is not the hero that people make him out to be. That even after Solomon, the, the nation of Israel was split. And even the ones who, who were kings that came after them, they weren't really good people at all. These guys weren't in. And then we see what happens and what transpires and that these people fall into captivity. It's just kind of ugly because that's what's happening in the then and the now for them. Oh, but 150 years later, I can talk about what has happened in the past with a whole different tone because what I'm talking about now doesn't sound like where I was then. Your tone changes after the fact. It's hard to speak on the goodness of what God is doing when you are in the midst of captivity. First and second Samuel, they're falling into captivity. First and second Kings being written in captivity. They talk about how we got here, but first and second Chronicles is talking about what happened when they came back to restoration. When they find themselves now, with a new temple that has been rebuilt and Jerusalem has been restored. First and second Chronicles is talking about the past in a whole different light. David doesn't look like in first Chronicles what he looked like in first and second Samuel. Solomon doesn't look like in first Chronicles and we're going to read in second Chronicles what he looks like in first and second Samuel, I hope you guys are seeing where I'm going. Family It's often when you are in the midst of pain and suffering in captivity, when you look at things through the lens of defeat, you will have a tendency to highlight every negative aspect and every negative thing. When your marriage is upside down and it's not going well, you'll have a tendency to look at your spouse and highlight everything that is negative. When your finances aren't going the way that you want them to go, you have a tendency to highlight all the negative things that are going on. When 
your job isn't transpiring and you're having issues with your boss and you're, you're losing your mind in the midst of it is you'll have a tendency to highlight all the negative things that are going on at your job. But when you get on the other side of it, you'll look back at it and you'll say to yourself, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. Because you see, and maybe there's somebody who can testify this. I was in the midst of the most difficult season in my marriage. And I know somebody has that testimony right now to say I was in the midst of the most difficult season in my marriage. And I looked at my spouse and all I saw was an enemy and I didn't see a friend. I saw everything that was bad about him and everything that was bad about her. I saw all of the shortcomings and the failures and the sinfulness and the brokenness. I saw all the mess of it all. But is there anybody who has a testimony to say, Somehow the Lord restored us out of that mess. And after the Lord had restored us out of that mess, I look back now at my husband or I look back at my wife and I see him or I see her in a whole different light. There's somebody right now who's in the midst of a difficult, who was in a difficult season at their job. And they found themselves persevering and enduring. And now when they look back at that season, they go, you know, there were some good things in the midst of it. There's many of us right now who we've we're looking at our present situation and we're in the midst of the pain of our present situation. And if that's you and you find yourself in a present pain, in a present brokenness, in a present trial, what if I came to tell you that it's not as bad as you think? Oh, it could be bad. Okay, we just saw it in first Kings. Captivity is bad. Okay, it could be bad. It could be painful. There could be blood. There could be there could be bloodshed. There could be all kinds of hurt and brokenness. It could be bad. But what if I told you it's not as bad as you think? What if even in the midst of it, that there's another side to it? And maybe what God is asking you to do today is God is asking you to look at your present pain from the lens of of 20 years from now. Look at your, your, your present trial through the lens of five years from now. Look at what you're going through right now. How about you look at it from the Isaac? I'm talking to Isaac today. Is look at your present difficulty and your present pain and look at it from Isaac 10 years from now looking back. And some of us right now are going through a difficult moment, but at, at the end of the day, we're going to realize five years from now, 10 years from now, it wasn't as bad as we thought. Oh, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as we thought. And we got out. My brothers and sisters, first Kings, second Kings was written in a time where people were in pain. They were in captivity. But first and second chronicles was written in a time where the people saw the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. 
my word for you today it's not as bad as you think it could be bad but it's not as bad as you think yes we read first chronicles 28 and as we read through it we see solomon is giving instructions now to build this temple this is the temple that's going to eventually be destroyed remember the children of israel are looking at it from a century later so now he's talking about a temple that they were, that they saw that was destroyed Solomon is building a temple from their point of view that was already destroyed. All the articles of gold, all these golden bowls, these pitchers of gold, these basins, the showbread, the things that the tables of the showbread, the lampstands, all these beautiful items and ornaments with gold, silver, bronze, iron, all the jewels, all these things that they're talking about. He's talking about things that they lost because we read at the end of second King, second Kings. We read how the Babylonians came in and they assessed all the riches of Israel and they came in and they took all the riches of Israel and took the children of Israel and brought them to captivity. They're actually talking in a positive light about the things that they lost. Perspective. Perspective. They're talking about all the riches and the resources and this tabernacle that was that was built. They're talking about all these things, and these were the things that were lost. Then he talks about the offerings of that were used, that were given by the children to build this temple. These are things that they lost. David is singing a song of praise to God upon the building and the establishing of the temple. And yet these were things that they had lost. They're reading about things that they lost. Solomon is being anointed king. And he's being given this task to build this temple, all pointing to a temple that is to be established. And yes, we've talked about this already, that this, ta- that this temple, eventually we know what this temple becomes because Jesus says, I will destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it back up. I will build it back up. I will destroy this temple, but I will build it back up because the temple was going to be destroyed again and would be rebuilt. And yet they're on the other side. The temple was all the stuff they built up that they attached the name of God to that was pulled away from them. And yet they're talking on the other side when the temple was rebuilt. First and second Chronicles is telling us what it looks like to be on the other side of pain. And maybe for some of us, We need to learn to look from the other side of pain. Because the reality is, is that a lot of things that we have lost and a lot of the things that we are losing, God wants to rebuild. But what he wants to rebuild is not another temple for you to idolize. He wants to build you and to make you the temple of God.
eventually they're going to lose the temple again. And eventually the temple will not matter because Jesus said, I will destroy this temple and in three days I will build it back up. When Jesus died on the cross, he came to destroy the temple, destroy temple thinking, destroy temple ideology, destroy the things that we will that that we glorify, destroy the habits and the patterns that we glorify. This was never about a temple. It was never about the church you go to. It was never about some of the items that you've made sacred in your life. It was never about your marriage for your sake. It was never about your money for your sake. It was never about your house for your sake. It was never about the sanctuaries that you go to for your sake. It was never about those sacred items that you have made sacred for your sake that you attach the name of God to. But no, on the cross, he would destroy the temple. Be encouraged today, brother. Be encouraged today, sister. Learn to look at the world through the lens of First Chronicles. Learn to look at the world and look at your reality through the lens of 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I said, I've said this before uh, to um, people who have discipled, people who have mentored brothers and sisters in Christ. I've always said that. I've always said this. And I've said that. Um, especially when it comes to the important decisions in my life, the critical decisions in my life. I always make decisions with 10 years in mind. I don't look at it and say, what's best for me right now? I've always made decisions to say, what will this look like 10 years from now? And I believe what the Lord is challenging me and so many of us here, because of course that's going to allow you to make more wise decisions, more wise financial decisions, more wise relational decisions, more wise. The things that man in the moment I was like, man, I want to do this. But then 10 years from now, that's not that that won't age well. So because it won't age well, I'm going to stay right where I'm at. (laughs) But how about I also challenge you? to look at your pain from 10 years from now. Look at what you're going through right now through the lens of 10 years from now. Man, do I wish I did that. I look back at um, about almost six years ago. Six years ago, babe. Yeah, six years ago. Izzy's a good marker for that. Six years ago, my wife and I went through an incredibly difficult season in our marriage and in our lives. Incredibly difficult season. I was a full-time professor and I decided, hey, you know what? The Lord's calling me to ministry. My wife was going to be our uh, breadwinner. So we decided I'm going to quit my job. We're going to downgrade, move into the hood and serve the Lord. 
two weeks after I uh, resigned from the university as a university professor, two years after, I mean, sorry, two, two weeks after my wife got laid off. We both lost our job. The apartment that we were moving into, the lease was canceled. We didn't even get to move into it. We click quickly dumped all of our stuff into a storage facility. But we had nowhere to go. We were homeless. And because now my wife was unemployed and I was unemployed, we couldn't get an apartment. We couldn't qualify for an apartment anywhere. My wife says, well, you know, I lost a job, but I should be able to get another one. Only to find out a week later that she was pregnant. A week after that, our... Uh, her car caught on fire. It was a total loss. We lost everything in a matter of four months. We spent the next four years focusing on ministry, looking to plant and to launch a ministry because we just believed that the Lord, this is what the Lord was calling us to do. Drained our entire savings account. Drained all of it. Drained our 401k drained our retirement funds. We maxed out on as much as we could take out. We had seasons where we had to buy gallons of water from the store just to make sure the toilet gets flushed because we didn't have running water in the house. And we did that for two years. One of the most painful seasons, sitting in lines for food, sitting in lines for subsidies, sitting in lines to get food stamps and to, but we did it. And I looked through it and in that season, as difficult as it was, there's, there's the Isaac in me that says, man, I wish I could have seen that through the lens of five years from now. Because the Isaac today looks back at those days, those tears, those difficult moments, there was a lot of trauma that we experienced in that season that was unnecessary. If we had just seen it through the lens of five to 10 years from now. And as hard as it was, as difficult as it was, as difficult as it was being homeless, as difficult as it was finally finding an apartment, as difficult as it was going months without electricity and water, as difficult as it was, I look back and I go, man, I wish that Isaac 10 years from now can go to that Isaac and say to him, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And what's on the other side is better. And even with what I'm going through in this season in my life, and some of the difficult decisions that I'm making in this season in my life, what God is challenging me with is, Isaac, stop looking at the now. Look at it through the lens of First Chronicles. Look at it through the lens of the Isaac 10 years from now. I truly believe this, that the Isaac 10 years from now is looking at the situation now. And he's saying to the Isaac today, 
It ain't as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. Ricky, it's not as bad as you think, Ricky. As bad as it is, you're going to get out of it. God will bring you through it. You will get out of it. You will overcome. You will get through it. But here's the thing is what is he doing in this season where he's breaking you? What is he doing in the season when he's tearing these things apart? What did he do to Israel? He, he allowed the Babylonians, the Assyrians, to tear apart the tabernacle, to ravage the entire city, to send the children of Israel into captivity. He allowed Babylon to take his people and to take all the precious sacred things, the stuff that they saved, the ornaments, the gold, and all these things, and to take them and God allow them to tear down the temple. But didn't Jesus say that I will destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it up? What if God wants you to replace those things that you're crying about, those things that you've lost? He wants to, you to replace it with himself. God wants to build us back up, not for our glory, but for his glory. Then we can understand when the scriptures say, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. He's going to get the glory. And in the midst of the pain, it's an opportunity for his glory. God's going to get the glory, fam. Perspective. Perspective. Father, I thank you for bringing us together, Lord. I thank you that you, Lord, you're restoring our hearts. You're restoring our minds. You are transforming us by the renewing of our minds, Father. I thank you. I thank you even in a season of difficulty and trial and tribulation and weakness, Father. And even in these seasons, Lord, you're showing us that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. You're showing us that your grace is sufficient. You are revealing to us, Lord God, Lord, that there's another way to look at this. We don't look at things from a place of defeat, but Father, Lord, teach us to look at things from a place of victory. Teach us things. Lord, teach us to know, Lord, how to look at it from the side that you have already won. That we have the victory. That we can declare with a resounding voice to God be the glory. So be glorified, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our loss, even in the midst of our trials, be glorified. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.